Join me, please, in opening your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Our country operates on fake money. Our national debt is ever-increasing. As of Thursday, at 8.30 in the morning, our debt was $27,525,000,000,000. Nope. Yep, $636,939,629. I could take care of that for us. The rest of it, not so much. It took approximately, you ready for this? 22 seconds for that number to increase by $1 million. That's right. By the time you leave this building this morning, If you are here for the approximate one hour and 15 minutes, our country will be $204 million deeper in debt. That's a lot of money. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Our hope is in the Lord who gave his life for us. Now imagine if all of the world's money actually belonged to the United States of America. If it did, could we actually be in debt? Not if all the money belonged to us, we wouldn't be able to be in debt. It's not possible. Then we could pass out hundreds of billions of dollars to other nations and it would make sense. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17, begins by telling us that we are debtors and ends by telling us that we are heirs. Debtors to heirs. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Let's look at the text, please. Romans 8, beginning in verse 12. So then, brothers... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This section causes us to answer the question, are we in debt or are we heirs. Are we in debt or are we heirs? Well, the first concept that comes to our attention is that believers are not slaves to the flesh. Believers, those that have come to know Jesus as their Savior, those that have turned from their sin and turned to Jesus Christ for rescue from our sin, we are not slaves 
to the flesh. Look again at verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Because we are in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in us, we are not debtors to the flesh. We don't owe the flesh anything. And the flesh cannot lord or rule over us. It has no right to dominate us. If we were debtors to the flesh, the result would be that we would live in accordance with the flesh. It would make its demands, and we would have no choice but to comply. That's what it is to be a debtor. You have a Lord over you, and it tells you what to do. And if the flesh were our master, if the flesh were our Lord, it would tell us what to do, and we would say simply, yes, sir, yes, sir, or if you're a female, yes, ma'am. Whatever you want, your wish is my command. But we are not debtors to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, because the Spirit has set us free. We are no longer under the powerful dominion of sin. This is in great contrast to how Paul speaks of sin and the law in Romans chapter 7. Take a look there with me. Romans chapter 7, familiar text to us because we just studied it a few weeks back. Romans 7, beginning in verse 14. Paul writes, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. This is us in our own resources, in our own strength. God's law makes demands, and even as much as I might say, yes, I want to do that, my flesh is unable to keep the demands of the law perfectly, and thus I become a debtor, a debtor. But Jesus Christ has set us free. And the Spirit of God who dwells within us has set us free. And I no longer dwell in this situation where I do not have the ability. When I'm in my flesh, I have no ability. But when I live according to the Spirit, the ability of the Spirit is within me, and God's Spirit can enable me to do everything that God intends, which is exactly what Romans chapter 8 and verse 4 says. It says in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So when we walk in accordance with the Spirit, we have power. We have the ability when we operate in our own strength, our own resources, our own will, we are completely unable to please God. But we have the Spirit. So we get back to verse 13 now. Verse 13 of chapter 8. He says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Spirit is given to us, and He helps us to put to death the practices. The word there. Um, deeds at the end of verse 13 has the idea of practice. It's praxis in the Greek. 
It has the idea of how we practice, how we actually operate. And he tells us, Paul tells us, God tells us, that his spirit is given to us, and part of the ministry of the spirit is that he enables us, he helps us to put to death the deeds, the practices of our sinful flesh. And this is recorded for us clearly in Colossians 3.9. Look at the screens. It says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have, have put off the old self with its practices. That has the idea of the fact that we've, we've been made new, right? In 2 Corinthians 5.17, uh, we have uh, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We have the opportunity because the Spirit dwells within us to operate differently. The Spirit helps us to put off the deeds of the body. Now, Jesus taught us clearly that sin proceeds from where? The heart of man. It's not about cleansing the outside of the cup. Sin proceeds from the heart of man. But the heart of man is revealed in actions through our bodies, right? The things that I say, it comes through an organ, a tongue, and all of those fine things around it that cause us to form words. And the sinful speech comes through the body. Now, I may have sinned in my mind without it coming through the body. But the channel through which sin is demonstrated is the body. And so he says uh, in verse 13 that by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body. The Spirit helps us by setting us free from the law of sin and death. And with that help, the Spirit comes alongside of us as the paraclete. He comes alongside of us to help us to put to death the practices of the flesh. This ministry of the Spirit is, is joyful for us to think about. Remember Jesus was going away? And he says, I go away, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again. That where I am, there you may be also. We know that passage in John chapter 14. A little later in the text, he says, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will send another comforter. That's the King James translation. The word there is paraclete. I'll send you another helper. That's another way to translate it. But it's really someone who comes alongside. There's a lot of things that happens when you come alongside of someone. You can give them wise counsel. You can lift them when they fall. You can prevent them from doing something that they want to do. When you come alongside of someone, there's, there's a wide array of things that someone that comes alongside can do. Well, the Spirit comes alongside of us to help us. And in this instance, in uh, Romans chapter 8, he's telling us that he helps us put to death the deeds of the body. So let's think about that for a moment. There are so many ways to apply this. Your, your own sinful practices may differ from the person next to you. But just think of a few illustrations of this, and maybe it'll spur you on to think about how the Spirit can enable you to put to death the deeds of your body. How about the sin of anger? People keep getting under your skin. They get under your skin with their political views. They get under your skin with their pandemic views, their plandemic views, whatever other thing they might want to say. 
They, they get under your skin with their doctrinal views. The list goes on and on. And you're just so irritated, irritated by people on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, whatever you call all those things that are social media. You go on your phone and you, you have all the news sources and the people are saying all kinds of crazy stuff on Twitter. And it's just annoying. And you find yourself irritable. That is not from the spirit that you are irritable. That is from your flesh that you're irritable. You have two very important ways of dealing with that irritation that comes from those sources. Number one, and it's not the, the, the first step, eliminate the problem. No more social media, no more news sources, no more any of that. Well, that's, that, that's a helpful thing. Your sinfulness won't necessarily be aroused as much as it was, but your, your problem will remain the same if you just eliminate the source of irritation. Because the problem is not the source of irritation. The problem is here. So what is the second and far more important way to deal with that anger, that irritation? It's to say, Lord, I'm an angry person, and I'm demonstrating my angry, sinful spirit. Dear Father, take this away. Put, put to death this passion of my sinful flesh. I don't want this. And you know what? The Bible tells us that through the Spirit, we can put to death the sinful practices of the body. This is good. Th this is not theoretical. This is gospel truth. That God can help us with our anger. How about jealousy? There's always someone who has something better than you have. They might have a bigger house. They might live in a warmer climate. They might have a bigger yard. They might have a better work schedule. There are all kinds of things that we can, we can be jealous about someone else's situation. Oh, they have the perfect family. Oh, their children act this way or that way. Or um, they have no children. They have more children. I have none. I ha they have none. They have, you know, what the, every situation conceivable, we, we can be jealous of someone else's circumstances. How do we deal with this? Well, I'm going to think better thoughts. That'll help. <laughs> it's not going to eliminate the problem because the problem resides in your own sinful heart. So how do we put to death these deeds of the body? Dear Father, I'm jealous of someone, something, some circumstance. God, I am jealous. Put to death this jealousy. Do you think he'll do that? Do you think he'll do that? Is he able to do that? If we ask anything according to his will, does he hear us and we have the petition? Yes. So we, we, I think one of our problems is we give up too easily. Because we don't mind so much our jealousy. We don't mind so much our irritability. We don't mind so much our anger. We kind of get used to it. It's kind of like a little pet. You bring it out every now and then. You pat it for a little bit. Oh, well, you're not supposed to be here. And you put it back away. Who are you helping with this? The Spirit of God can put to death the deeds of the body. Well, there's more that we can think about. How about covetousness? That's pretty similar to, to jealousy. 
but now this doesn't have an object of a, a person. You know, that person has this and I don't. And covetousness is just wanting something. I want a little bit more than I have. I want something a little bit better than I have. Well, this, this is uh, only the version 3 of my watch. And this is only the version 1800 of my iPad. I don't know what version it's on. It's actually pretty new. It's a pretty good one. But, you know, I just want something just, just a little bit better. Just a little bit better. How do I deal with covetousness? Do you realize in Colossians chapter 3 and in Ephesians chapter 5, when God talks through Paul to the church about covetousness, he equates it with, you ready? Idolatry. I would never, I would never bow down before an image of some other God. All right, you ready for this? Here it is. You ready? See that? I really want a new Apple Watch. I want the current version. Oh, I need it. I have to have it. When, when we get to this covetousness, it becomes a little idle. I have to have it. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting a newer version. If you have the funds for it and you can do that, or someone buys it for you, fantastic. That's wonderful. But where it becomes something that I just, I have to have. I have to have. It's covetousness. And the Bible calls covetousness idolatry. Small g-o-d. Little God. And you know what? There's no one in this room that doesn't struggle with that in some area from time to time. How do we deal with it? God, I am not content with such things as I have. Even though you've told me that I have everything because I have you. And you'll never leave me. And you'll never forsake me. God, help me to be satisfied in you. The Spirit can help us to put to death the practices of our body. Well, then there's sexual immorality, right? Um, I, 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 I need this. I need this. It may be someone who's before they're married. You're thinking, oh, I, I just... The, the pleasures of sexual... Uh, activity are something alluring to me or you're in the midst of a marriage relationship but someone else catches your attention i i need this but jesus doesn't even leave us room for just the physical activity he talks about sexual immorality right here in the mind Listen to these words from the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Friends, I don't know what your problems are. I don't know what your list of sinful practices are. I don't know if the internet has wrapped its nasty tentacles around you and, and you watch things on the internet that you ought not to watch, call it pornography. I don't know if that grabs onto you, but all I can tell you is this. That is exactly what Jesus is talking about. It's looking upon a woman with the sexual intent. This is a sinful practice of the body. And the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God can enable us to put to death the deeds of the body. You don't need to call yourself a, an addict. 
to anything if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God, if you're a believer, dwells within you to enable you, to enable me, to put to death the deeds, the practices of the body. This is good gospel truth. God is enabling us through His Spirit. Well, how about substance abuse? It's very similar to that last concept, right? It's another area that can wreak havoc in your life. My dad taught me this as a young man, and I I value this instruction. It wasn't a spiritual instruction. It was just a proverbial wise statement. If you never have one, you can never have a second. If you don't take the first drink, you'll never take the second drink. If you never take the first drag of a of a joint you'll never take the second drag of a joint if you never shoot yourself up with heroin the first time you'll never shoot yourself up with heroin the second time if you never take that oxycontin the first time you'll never take it the second time these are just simple practices alcohol marijuana heroin oxycontin other substances they have a a history of enslaving people The Spirit of God can enable you, if that might be true of you, He can enable you to put to death the sinful practices of the body. You, if you're a believer, do not need to be in debt to any facet of the flesh. Not one thing. We are not debtors to the flesh. Those who have been born again are not slaves to the flesh because the Holy Spirit can break the chains. But I would submit to you, don't try to do it alone. You struggle with some substance abuse? God, I'm struggling. Put this desire to death within me. Your spirit is able. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you remember in Romans chapter 6 when we were studying through that passage, he told us to Reckon, consider yourself to be dead indeed to sin and alive to God. He wanted us to know in our minds that Jesus has set us free. And now he's telling us in Romans chapter 8 how that is. Because his spirit dwells within us. And I don't have to be in bondage to anything. My flesh has no right to rule over me. When the chains are still attached, it's impossible to be victorious. But we have been freed now justification you know that term justification god taking away our sin and adding jesus righteousness to our account justification is based upon what god has done through the lord jesus christ sanctification is based upon how the holy spirit applies the work of jesus christ to our daily lives taking those, that righteousness that's been attributed to our account at justification and fleshing it out in our daily practices. That's the Spirit of God bringing us into sanctification. He's making us holy. He's making us like God's Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Both justification and sanctification are powerful workings of God. In justification the evidence of our being beneficiaries of God's salvation is that we believe 
in Jesus Christ. We have faith in Christ. So you can know, how, how do I know if I'm justified? How do I know if I, if I have received God's salvation that he's offered to me through Jesus Christ? Because I have an abiding confidence that the only means of my eternal redemption is what Jesus Christ has done on my account. I have faith in Christ. It's an evidence of justification. Well, evidence in sanctification is our submission to the Spirit when we see the Spirit putting off in us sinful practices of the flesh, we can be convinced that the Spirit is sanctifying us. That's an evidence of the Spirit's work. So let me say this. My friend, I don't know your situation. I don't know what goes on between your temples. But if you don't see the Spirit putting to death sinful practices within you, there's something wrong in your spiritual walk. It means you're not allowing the Spirit to reign supremely. Even though as a believer, you're not a debtor to the flesh to live according to the flesh, you're living as though a debtor. And the Spirit can set you free from that indebtedness because you've been given life. Life. We are not slaves to sin resulting in death, verse 13, but rather we are empowered by God's Spirit resulting in life. This is another benefit of the Gospel. So in verses 12 and 13, we saw the concept that believers are not slaves to the flesh. Secondly, as we move into verses 14 through 16, believers are sons of God. We're not slaves of the flesh, we are sons of God. Look at verses 14 through 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Notice this in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, are sons of God. In verses 12 and 13, we saw the Spirit helping us to put to death evil practices. But in addition to putting off evil practices, the Spirit helps us in another way. The Spirit produces fruitful demonstrations that we're God's children. Take a look at Galatians chapter 5 for a moment. Galatians 5, while you're turning, just, just reminding your thought process, the Spirit puts off evil practices, and the Spirit helps us to put on holy practices. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and following, God's Word says, I'll give you another moment to get there, Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is, will you read with me please? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Wow. He has given us an open-ended list. 
Love, joy, peace. Now, I have it memorized in the King James, so forgive me when it doesn't match up with what I just read. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. But when we stop there, we're short-circuiting this. Those are all wonderful demonstrations of the Spirit. But it says, against such things. In other words, there are more fruitful demonstrations of the Spirit's working in us than just those that are listed, as glorious as, uh, uh, as those are. He says, and there's more fruit to be had. There are more ways that God's Spirit demonstrates Himself, but He always demonstrates it in righteousness. He always demonstrates it in holiness. He always demonstrates it in accordance with truth. God's Spirit producing glorious character traits of God in us. When you think about God, are, are you in awe of how great He is? Are you in awe that He would love a sinner like you? Are you in awe that His mercy has been multiplied on your account? That He graciously uh, abounds His blessing upon you? That He is patient with you day in and day out for however, however many years you've been alive? His Patience endures all this time. He, he's a God of peace and joy and gentleness and kindness. You're just amazed as you think of these things. And you read in the Gospels of Jesus, in, in all of these demonstrations of his being God in the flesh, and you think, what a glorious Savior. And he laid down his life for me. What a glorious Savior. And God's Spirit produces these character traits in us demonstrations, fruitful demonstrations that you, that I, I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you're a son of God. You're a child of God. This is glorious. Listen to these passages. In Psalm 143, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Isaiah 48, 17, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. The Holy Spirit will always and only lead us into righteousness. The Spirit of God will always and only lead us into righteousness. In other words, if we find ourselves dabbling in something that's not righteous, you can say, you can know, you can be assured that this is not because the Spirit led me here. This is because I have taken the reins and I have gone off course and I can look myself in the mirror, myself in the eye, and I can say, you did this. Now, you all know how this goes. We would much prefer to blame our spouse. We would much prefer to blame our children. This morning we had, you know, our house is kind of, um, it's kind of a thing right now. Some of our stuff is over here, and some of our stuff is over there, and some of our stuff is out for the whole world to see it right out. And so there's a little bit of chaos going on, and some of us aren't sleeping that great, so that's really helping to add to, to, the, to the joy. And, and this morning we had, um, in the middle of the night, my littlest child had a splinter in her toe. So there was whimpering, hear it through the little speaker. I pretended I didn't hear it. 
my wife didn't let me not hear it. <laughs> so I volunteered to take care of the situation. I couldn't get the splinter out of her toe, so I did the next best thing and put some Neosporin on it and a Band-Aid. <laughs> Sent her back upstairs, etc., etc., etc. Not only was I awake, and my wife was awake, and my little daughter was awake, and then my youngest son was awake. Well, a little later in the morning, I had come over here and to do some things and went back home. I brought some donuts. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a, a little bit of um, some disharmony among the youngest people in our home. So I sent the youngest son to the bed, and he was kind of sulking there. And when he went in, he started to tell us why he was doing this. You know, he didn't get enough sleep. His sister woke him up, and he couldn't help it. So I just simply said, nope, not going to allow that. That's not right. Now, if you want to say that you're tired, and because you're tired, you're cranky, and because you're tired and cranky, you're sinning, I can, I can, I can buy that. It's all right. But you're not going to excuse your, your way out of sin by saying, well, I'm tired, therefore I must. No, not okay. That's a seven-year-old. I happen to be 44. <laughs> and I can do the same thing. I just verbalize it or not verbalize it differently. You know, I don't know how old you are, but you've done it. You've done the same thing. Because you're a human. And we would prefer to blame someone else for our sin. But the Bible says that God is not tempted by evil. Neither does he tempt anyone. He doesn't tempt us. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth what? Sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth Death. The Spirit will never lead us into unrighteousness. Head back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Not only does the Spirit only lead us into righteousness, the Spirit also leads us into intimacy. And this is, um, this is, this is a feel passage. You can all the feels in this one. Verse 15, he talks about God giving us this intimate relationship with himself. Look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now justification, which we talk about regularly, is a legal transaction. God removes the record of our sin. He placed the record of that sin on Jesus. Jesus died in our place. The transaction was complete. Upon turning from our sin, repentance, and turning to Christ for our redemption, we call upon the name of the Lord and he saves us. Jesus' righteous record is placed on our account. It's written, my record stands, written that I am righteous. I have the righteous deeds of Christ on my account. It's a legal transaction. Adoption is a relational transaction. I move from a 
child of the world, a child of Satan, a child of the flesh, a child of sin before my salvation, to after salvation being a child of God, a son of God. God embraces me. He takes me into his own family. He has adopted me as his child. God has, from the beginning, determined to adopt us into his family. This is not a a haphazard, ooh, I wonder how this will work out kind of thing. Listen to the way that Ephesians 1 speaks of it. Even as he, God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. How did he do it? Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Adoption changes our identity, who we are. It changes our present, what we're doing. And it changes our future, where we're headed. Here is how significant the spirit of adoption is in verse 15. No slavery, no fear. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And access to the Father. The end of verse 15 says, By the Spirit we cry out, Abba, the Father. Abba, the Father. This picture has a tender appeal. It could be translated, Dear Father. And you get this picture in your mind of a dad sitting in his most comfortable chair and a child, a precious little child, crawling up on his lap, sitting on his lap and saying, I love you, Dad. I love you, Dad. This is one of the glorious benefits that we believers receive from God when He places His Spirit within us at redemption. We have this intimacy that we recognize my dad's not going to push me away. My dad's not going to say, no, thank you. My dad's not going to keep saying, someday, someday, someday. No, now. God is not like us. He's not too busy for us. He's never stressed. He's never overwhelmed. He's never tired of us. There hasn't been too much clamoring for his ear. He doesn't get cranky because he hasn't eaten enough. He doesn't get tired because he's exhausted himself. He is always listening. Come to him. And every time, he's ready to hear from you because you say, Abba, the Father. This is the intimacy that we have been blessed with by having God's Spirit placed within us. How do we know if we're God's children? Well, according to verse 13, it's if we've put off sinful practices. In verse 14, it's if we're led by the Spirit and there'll be fruit. John says it this way in John chapter 1 and verse 12. 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the what? Right. The right, the authority to become children of God. See, our relationship with the Spirit provides us with righteous evidence. We are led by the Spirit, so there's fruitful activity. It, it, it also um, produces an intimate relationship. Abba, Father. And as we come to verse 16, we also see a confident security. A confident security. Look at verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit Himself bears witness in cooperation with our spirit that we are children of God. Those who are God's children, we know this, will never perish. Those who are God's children will never perish. This whole chapter starts off with that concept. There is, therefore, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. Because God has done what the law could not do because of the sinful flesh. He, he did this by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God has saved us and He has given us a surety of that salvation. We have security for our eternal life is not, is not based upon us. Our eternal security is in the hands of God Himself. Jesus said in John chapter 10 that no one can pluck you out of my Father's hands. In 1 Peter chapter 1, God's word says this, We have been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept, kept. Not your keeping. Kept in heaven for you. How? Who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The Spirit is the guarantee of our eternal redemption. You think about this. God has given us His Spirit, enabling us to, to fulfill His will, to put off the deeds of the flesh, to, to be led into fruitful activity, to have an intimate relationship with Him, and to, to know, to know what the future holds? Do you know what tomorrow holds? Nope, no clue. Do you know what 2021 holds? No. No idea. You had no idea what 2020 was going to look like when we were on this day last year. No clue. No one could have predicted a trillion things that happened this last year. And yet, here we are, another year older, another year, I hope, wiser. But we're headed into a new year. We don't know what's going to happen. But I know what matters the most. Where will your eternal soul reside? Where will that endure? If we're children, if we're children, and we know if we're children because the Spirit dwells in us, so the Spirit is bearing witness with our spirit, that we know we're children of God. If we're children, then we're heirs. This leads us to our last and brief point. Believers are heirs of God. Believers are heirs of God. Verse 17 and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
We're going to talk about this in detail next week. But for the sake of our study this morning, we wanted to see that at the beginning of this section, we are debtors, not to the flesh, but to God. But our debt has been paid. Rather than being in debt to anyone, we are heirs of God. And as heirs of God, we will inherit all things. Did you know that? Heirs of all things. When you're a debtor, you can't really pass out money in unlimited fashions. Our country has not learned this simple accounting concept. When you're already becoming millions of dollars more in debt every minute, passing out trillions of dollars seems illogical. This is not a political sermon. When you are the possessor of all things, as God is, you can make promises that are written down for all the world to see, and you can make them come to pass. God essentially says, come to me, and I will give you a share in everything. Come to me. And I will give you a share of everything. Now, in this life, we may only get little tastes of that inheritance that is to come. Because the full experience of that inheritance is still future. But we get these tastes as reminders that God's word is true. And that God will fulfill his word. Are you in debt to the flesh? Do you try to fulfill the desires of your flesh regularly? Well, you know that that just leads to more debt and more sin and more pain and more addiction. The ultimate result of catering to our flesh is both physical death and then far worse, spiritual death. Physical death first, and eternal death second. The real problem, friends, if if your life is marked by just giving into your flesh day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, second by second, where is the evidence that God's Spirit is in you. Because the Spirit puts to death the deeds of the body. And He leads us into righteousness. He changes us. If, on the other hand, rather than being uh, enslaved to the flesh, you are God's child and you have received spiritual life and the promises of an eternal inheritance, you have assurance of what is to come. How can you know if you are one of God's children? Well, simply stated, here are four ways you can know that you are God's child. First of all, you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your only means of salvation. That's the only thing you're trusting in, the fact that Jesus has done this. Secondly, you have received the Holy Spirit who helps you to put off the sinful practices of your sinful flesh. 
Thirdly, you see evidence of the Spirit's work producing fruit in and through you. And finally, the Spirit cries out within you a confident, intimate cry that God is your Father and you are His child. The Spirit will let you know. It's good. It is good that God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are His children. You have that cry within you that God is your Father, that you are His child, that God's Spirit is awakening your spirit to know with great confidence that one day all this stuff that we deal with every day, we read it in the news, we're confronted with it day by day, that it's all just going to be gone. And the real life starts. This is the joy of having God's Spirit within us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for all you've done. Help us to abide in confidence in you. Father, if there are any among us, any listening, that do not know Jesus, that the Spirit of God is not dwelling in, we pray that you would open their eyes to see their need and to see your provision through Jesus Christ, that he laid down his life as a once-for-all sacrifice to bear their sin debt, and that he's willing to provide for them the righteousness necessary that they might have eternal life. And with that provision of salvation, you provide your spirit as a foretaste and as a guarantee of the eternal inheritance that is for every believer. Do this work in believers and unbelievers. In Jesus' name, amen.